Certified, the autobiography of David Harris. Written by David and Helen Harris. Read by James Pollack. For more information on the book, go to certifiedthebook.com. Chapter 15. One night I had an unusual dream. I dreamed I was back in Ballarat, in the house full of drug users, and I was dealing again. A homeless guy turned up at the door, and I invited him in. He was totally derelict. We could see he was destitute and in pain. We offered him a shower and some clean clothes, and shared our food with him. He asked for drugs, and I told him I could give him drugs, but it was only a band-aid for the pain he felt. I told him it couldn't make him better. It couldn't heal him. He needed something else, but we didn't have what he needed. We felt the same pain and used the same drugs to try and make it go away. I immediately awoke, recognised my room at the rehab and remembered that I was off drugs, cleaned up and in a new place. I realised I knew the answer to the pain the derelict guy and all the rest of us carried. The answer to the world's agony was the healing grace of Jesus. I was living proof of his love and power to heal. It felt so good to have hope, not just for myself but for all the thousands of other people like me. In the dream, I was powerless to do anything more than treat symptoms. In real life, I had found a real and powerful answer for people's pain. As the weeks went by, my faith grew stronger. I became more outspoken about what God was doing and what he had done in me. Some of the pedophiles at the rehab began to ridicule me. I would play Christian music, pray and read my Bible all the time. The rehab unit held meetings where we could share our struggles and encourage one another. I would share about God's mercy and his power to help me overcome my addiction and live differently. Just like Bomber did when he visited our drug-soaked house in Ballarat, I quoted scriptures to answer their objections. One guy in particular gave me a hard time, saying I was over the top. I guess I was, but I felt I had to go hard in this new direction. God had done some amazing things, and I just wanted to get to know him and share my story with everyone else. It was hard not to fire up in return for their ridicule, but I shared my hurts and disappointments with God and tried to let the arrogant insults go over my head. Dealing with the harassment from the others in rehab helped me to understand how much change God had brought in my life. The situation struck me as a little ironic. Here were the very people I had been ready to kill persecuting me for my faith, and I could let it just bounce off me. It was not always an easy thing to do. At times something would still rise up in me wanting revenge. But I was experiencing what I now know as God's grace to help me treat others in a new way. His grace was his power given to help me live in victory. I relied heavily on this new grace I had found. Before long, a Christian I met at rehab encouraged me to get involved with a church in the area. Larry sometimes couldn't pick me up and take me out to the salvos at Ringwood, and I knew I could not do this new life on my own. Even with God's help, I still needed other people around who would encourage me. I started to ask God for his help to find a church. My breakthrough came unexpectedly. I was minding my own business, filling in time, walking around the shops near the rehab. I was walking through the outdoor shopping mall at Box Hill when I heard singing that I recognised as Christian. So I followed the sound to where a group of people were playing and preaching. I just walked up and joined in. They seemed happy to have another recruit. I discovered the group belonged to a local church, Box Hill Assembly of God, AOG, now Australian Christian Churches. Over the following weeks, I enthusiastically joined in every activity and meeting I could, including a Bible study for young men. I was overwhelmed with the culture of love that was in the church. I went Sunday after Sunday to this new church where I found an acceptance that was real and more profound than I had ever experienced. 
There was one lady, Ruth, who kept asking me home to have lunch after church with her family. I came up with excuses each week. I'm not sure why I rejected her offer each week. I guess I was still a little fearful of letting people down if they got to know me. One week she asked me again to join them for lunch. I told her I had to go home and do the dishes, but she offered to come and do the dishes with me and still take me back to her home for lunch. She won. I joined them for lunch while being overwhelmed by the impact such mercy and love was having on my life. At the same time, I was forming friendships that I still value today. Week by week, I learned more about following Jesus. I learned to listen to the Holy Spirit. I discovered the way he spoke was very different from the voices I'd experienced while in prison. The demons demanded my full focus, yelling and clamoring for attention in my mind. By contrast, I found the Holy Spirit was gentle, often communicating like a whisper, or bringing to my notice a particular verse in the Bible. Sometimes he communicated by showing others what he wanted to tell me. A couple of months after joining the church in Box Hill, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I needed to deal with my past occult involvement. I had opened doors to the demonic realm, not only through direct involvement with the demonic spirit guide in Perth, but from ongoing yielding to occult practices such as astral travel and palmistry. My life had been open to the influence of the demonic world through my involvement with drugs as well. The drugs I'd considered harmless, such as marijuana, were enough to alter my state of consciousness, and, in so doing, they had allowed an openness to demonic influences into my life. I discovered God was a gentleman, waiting to be invited into a life. This was so unlike the devil, who does not need an invitation. He waits like a thief for any door to be opened, so he can take up residence as a squatter, set on destruction of the life in which he has been given influence. I realised another door in my mind had been unlocked for demonic access, as I sought after Buddha, and searched for truth from a God that was not the one true God. I discovered that the sexual encounters I'd had, as well as other perverse actions and thoughts that were part of my mess, were all actually opportunities for my soul to be caught up in demonic chains and bondages that Jesus died to set me free from. I had received a lot of freedom at the time of my surrender to Jesus as Saviour and Lord, but I also recognised I still had areas of brokenness and bondage that needed something more than I had received to that point. I prayed and fasted for three days, and God showed me a whole list of issues for which I needed deliverance. I'd been given a video series by Derek Prince called From Curse to Blessing. Derek's teaching made sense to me, and a number of stories he told matched my experience of demons. As I watched the tapes, I scribbled pages of notes and prayed the prayers that Derek outlined on the tapes. God began to do some more clearing out of the demonic influences that I'd invited into my life through activities such as seances and astral travel. I arranged for the pastor of the church and one of his leaders to come and pray with me. They spent an hour or so praying over me, but I sensed that nothing much was happening. For some reason, their prayers at the time didn't seem to bring the breakthrough I needed. I'd met a guy called Larry Norman at Box Hill AOG. Larry had been seriously into alcohol before he met Jesus. Larry spoke slowly and simply, yet it seemed that miracles just fell off him as he walked. Every time I spoke to him, he had just seen someone healed or had cast out a demon. Larry had an amazingly clear sense of God's voice. He encouraged me to go down to Portland, where a guy named Shane and another guy called Dwayne lived. Shane and Dwayne were a kind of ghostbusters. They had prayed with a number of people in the church with powerful results. Over a weekend, they prayed for me for hours and all sorts of strange stuff happened. At one stage, I was shaking so hard that I accidentally broke the arm off the chair I was sitting on. They kept praying and I felt something let go inside of me and the shaking stopped. 
It was like there was a tangled mess on the inside of me that did not want to be straightened out. I was in the middle of a full-on war. It was a spiritual battle, and the battleground was somehow in me. A little while later, I was vomiting violently. The guys assured me that sometimes people throw up as demons let go of them. I knew that I was being freed from invisible shackles as the deliverance took place. They kept praying. After the weekend of prayer, I was completely exhausted. But I felt as if a rubbish bin in my soul had been tipped out. Over the next few days, people began to notice I was different. I was gentler and less likely to become aggressive. But there was more to come. Shortly after I was praying and seeking God's help, I noticed that I was still quick to lash out when I felt threatened. I had to resist the urge to use my fists. Over the road from the rehab was a little church, and I wandered over there to get away from the noise and to pray. God whispered to me that within me there was still a demonic stronghold of violence. The Holy Spirit encouraged me to verbally renounce violence and to pray that I would become a peaceful man. As I began to declare and speak out those things I felt God was leading me to say, I felt like part of my guts was coming loose and being torn out. I couldn't stand up. The best way I can describe it is like spinning razor blades coming down deep inside my guts and being forced through my legs and down out my feet and through my arms and hands. Waves of excruciating pain radiated from deep inside me. As suddenly as the pain came, it was over and I felt a deep sense of God's comfort and soothing. Then it felt like the Holy Spirit flowed onto me and bathed the wounds, making me feel calm and peaceful. As I rested from my ordeal and enjoyed feeling God's comfort, he whispered a warning to me. You've come so far, have been freed from so much. If you go back to the darkness, the devil will kill you. I believed him. Demons had very nearly killed me before. I read in the Bible where it warned that if I went back into the darkness of a lifestyle of sin, I would quickly end up seven times worse, or dead. This was a strong motivator to push forward. I could not retreat. I became more and more involved with the local church, taking up responsibilities for various activities. A friend from church moved to Scotland, so at the end of my time in rehab, she let me live in her flat. My time was filled either with church-related work or spending time alone with God, reading the Bible and soaking in the presence of God as I rested on my bed with worship music washing over me. I found myself regularly praying and singing worship songs. I sensed that this time was a season of God working to straighten me out, clean me up and give me a deep sense of how much he cared for me. I loved the Bible. I knew the word of God was the food I needed to grow a healthy soul. I took it everywhere I went. I prayed, often speaking in another language given by the Holy Spirit, and stirred my hunger for God. I hated where I'd come from and the life I had lived. I was being transformed as the Word of God helped me renew the way I thought and felt about life. It was like the words God spoke washed my mind. I constantly talked to God and learned to hear His voice. God spoke through the Bible as well as through the still small voice of His Holy Spirit. I longed just to be with Him every day. I decided it might be a good idea to get some Bible college under my belt. So a friend and I went to the open day at Tabor Bible College. In those days, the college occupied a group of rooms in the old Church of Christ in North Fitzroy. Part of the program for the day was for the group to split up into pairs and share our testimonies. Everyone quickly formed pairs. I was one of the last to pair up, despite the changes on the inside. On the outside, I still looked like a druggie, skinny with long, untidy hair, a bushy beard, mirror shades and crumpled clothes. 
Eventually, an attractive, outgoing young woman, who was already a student at Tabor, introduced herself as Helen. We paired up and began to fulfil the objectives set before us. I told her my story of being saved from drugs, crime and the occult. I told her about the man who axed the dog and my calling a hitman, only to be given a Bible. I told her my testimony of a changed life. She sat amazed as I shared my story. When it was her turn, she told me of being raised in a Christian home and kneeling beside a bed as a six-year-old to give her life to Jesus. While hers was a pretty normal testimony for a pastor's kid growing up in the church, her story rocked me to my foundations. I went home and wept bitterly, overcome with grief and anger that I had not had what Helen had. Why was my life such a waste? Why did I have to throw away so many years of my life when I could have been serving Jesus all the time? I found Helen was the one with the powerful testimony. She had been spared so much pain. I had now heard a testimony I found truly inspiring. A little while later, Helen turned up at Box Hill AOG with a friend of hers. She came to church a couple of times and then disappeared. I heard she had gone overseas. Although Tabor seemed a good college, I ended up studying at Harvest Bible College. I was living in a halfway home for street kids. The house was overseen by a ministry called SHAC, Support House Advocacy and Care, which had a number of similar houses operating around the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Ross was overseeing the SHAC at the time. He connected with me and encouraged me in the new roles I found myself in. Having people around me who believed in me, despite my background, reassured me in the hope I felt that God was helping me find my feet. Although I began in the SHAC house as just another tenant, I soon became the lead tenant, responsible for overseeing the kids staying in the house. I was connecting with a lot of great people who not only added stability to my life, but have continued to be great friends as the years roll on. A social worker helped me find a job with a distribution company that occupied a warehouse for an importer of underwear. They had no idea I had such a rough past. To them, I was just unemployed. I started work helping to unload containers and to make up orders for retailers. Keen to establish a good work history, I worked hard and tried to show initiative. The boss noticed my efforts and positive attitude and gradually increased my responsibilities. I realised that the best preparation for employment is meaningful work. So I decided to set up a program to help unemployed kids develop the skills and habits required to secure and keep a job. In partnership with SHAC and Box Hill AOG, we began, yes, Youth Employment Strategies. We got some funding for basic gardening equipment and soon had a crew of kids doing simple gardening maintenance under supervision. Back in my own workplace, I noticed a growing pile of stock in the back corner that never seemed to move. I quizzed the boss. That stock returned because the retailer doesn't want it. There's nothing wrong with it. It just doesn't meet the retailer's requirements. Well... Well, why not sell it? Can't. It's all tagged with the retailer's brand. You'd need to remove all the tags. What are you going to do with it? Dunno. Nothing, I guess. If I promise not to sell it with the tags on, can I have it for a very cheap price? I guess so. Soon I had a small team of yes kids cutting off all the retailer's tags from thousands of pairs of knickers. I set up stalls at weekend markets all over the place, staffed with yes kids and other volunteers. Selling the detagged stock for a dollar a pair. We did a brisk trade. The money we made paid the kids a basic wage and the rest went into funding YES. With my job and my range of responsibilities with YES and church, I felt the need for a car. I was reading The Fourth Dimension by Paul Yonggi Cho at the time. 
Cho was a Korean pastor who had grown a church from nothing to over a half a million by diligent prayer. He told the story of asking God for a bike, but receiving nothing. He then sensed God ask him, What kind of bike? Cho asked specifically for an American bike with gears, and in no time a visiting missionary with just such a machine turned up saying, I think God wants you to have this. So I prayed for a car, sensing God inviting me to be specific. I was standing in the car park at work, inspired the boss's almost new Toyota Corolla. That one, I prayed, full of confidence. I told the boss I had prayed that God would give me his car. He looked at me quizzically. Around that time, the bonus grant for my employment became available. I had proven a diligent worker, more than earning my keep. When the boss received the grant, he called me into his office. He tossed me the keys to his car. The government came good with the bonus for keeping you on. You've done a good job here, Dave. The car's yours. Later that week, he obtained the documents to sign the car over to me. I didn't pay a cent. A little while later, I was offered another car at a bargain price. It was bigger than the Corolla, which was handy for carrying all those cartons of underwear. I bought the car, got a couple of minor repairs done, and arranged for a friend to repaint it. Once it was on the road, I sold the Corolla, netting $10,000. The next day, I walked into the boss's office and dropped $7,000 on the desk. I sensed that God was testing my ability to trust him to provide for me. The boss was speechless. He grabbed the cash, dropped it into his top pocket and escorted me out before his accountant could hear about it. I carried my Bible in a big black shoulder bag and it went with me everywhere. I pulled it out and read it whenever I had a spare moment. I mostly read from the New Testament. I had been told to start reading about Jesus' life from the book of Mark. The more I read, the more I understood this new life I was living. In those first couple of years, I wore out two or three Bibles sticking them together with tape until they were too battered and torn to be repaired further. I could spend whole days in prayer asking God to search my heart to show me things that needed to change about the way I thought or the way I saw life. I was trying to hear him speak to me about things I needed to put right, seeking God's counsel on decisions I was making and praying for the young people I was serving through YES and SHAC. I was enjoying life and loving God. I'd met a girl and been delighted when she was willing to start to build a serious relationship with me. However, it wasn't long before we were making a mess of our attempt at a relationship. I loved female company and it was nice to have a Christian girlfriend, but it hurt to think that this relationship didn't seem to be working. I was walking with God, but by no means was I perfect. I realised that I was still learning how to have healthy relationships. I'd given my heart to this girl, hoping I could somehow do better at relationships than I had in the past, but eventually that painful relationship ended. The SHAC house I lived in was walking distance from a house full of single Christian girls I knew from church. I was friends with them all and enjoyed hanging out at the house, participating in fun, healthy relationships. Helen, the girl I'd met at Tabor, had returned from a trip and was one of the friends who lived in the house. She was working as a part-time youth pastor at the Box Hill Church. I had a growing group of friends, both guys and girls, and it felt good to build these kinds of friendships. One Sunday I was standing outside the school hall where the church met, watching a tree filled with birds. Two of the birds, beginning from opposite sides of the tree, moved closer and closer until they were perched side by side. Then they flew off together. I got a sense that God was telling me the two birds were Helen and me, but I didn't do anything with it. After the fiasco of the last relationship, I just didn't trust myself to discern God's will in romantic matters. 
Certified, the autobiography of David Harris. Written by David and Helen Harris. Read by James Pollack. For more information on the book, go to certifiedthebook.com.